Welcome back, friends. Episode number 99 of the Behind the Badge podcast here Ooh. at the Monroe County Sheriff's Office with my partner, Tiz. How are you, Tay? Doing good. Doing Tisdale. good. How's the six children doing, by the way? <laughs> They're doing good, as long as you know, they don't come around me too much. <laughs> I, am, <laughs> I am still impressed by that number six. Yeah, man. It's, it's, a, it's a long time, but it all shows about, you know what? If you show them love and they give it back to you, they're all grown and uh, going on doing their things and different things. And good. one thing, nobody's gotten into law enforcement yet, but you right. know what? I keep trying to trying to prod and prove yeah, somebody. Hiring. So eventually. We're hiring. Yeah. Yeah, Dad looks good in a uniform, so, you know, yeah, they can, you. They yeah, can mirror you that off. Too, yeah, well, thank you. That's good. <laughs> that concludes the episode. We got our compliments out of the way. Episode 99, next, next week, 100. No, the century mark. That is crazy. A hundred episodes. hundred episodes of Behind the Badge. And today, we got a good friend of mine from the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosive Unit of the federal government, ATF. Good to have you here, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. And congratulations. 99? 99 That's episodes. Can you believe it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm looking around here. This is great. This is like I'm on the Howard Stern show here. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> you guys got a good setup. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, we, we've constantly looked at an improvement, and we had a video not too long ago, and uh, can add pictures, videos, as we're going to talk about today. But uh, the whole idea behind the badge is is talked about the deputies that, that work here and civilian staff, but also the agencies that we work hand in hand. And ATF is one of the, you know, the, we've been hand in glove for years and years with the ATF and you particularly as you took over the Rochester office and, and your personality and your your forward thinking. And, and uh, it's it's been a, a great, a great relationship. And uh, so we want to share that, you know, with the community. What the hell does the ATF do? And that people are always curious, you know, what's the FBI and DEA and what's the difference between all those? So, you know, anything we can, you know, get across to the public about how well we work together, but how you're doing uh, on that. And so how about a little, we we glossed right over, how about just a little quick intro of you, sure. where you're from, who you are, and uh, and then we'll get into the ATF in particular. Okay. Uh, me in particular, I grew up in Long Island, New York. So um, I'm a New Yorker. I went to college in SUNY Cortland. Uh, Five-year sociology degree there, so I, I was eighty-one. Uh, yeah. Good time. I graduated <laughs> nineteen ninety-four. Um, once I graduated from there, I got a job with the Immigration Service. Um, I think I skipped over my family fish business. I delivered fish for a year. Really? In the meantime, oh, wow. uh, while I was waiting for the job, like you'd go for these jobs. When I was going for them, you'd be thirty thousand people taking a test. Right. And uh, so, I, uh, for about a year, year and a few months, I delivered fish for the family business. Uh, while I was waiting, then I got hired by uh, Immigration Service. Hmm. Did that for a couple of years. Then I applied for ATF, and I went to Worcester, Massachusetts. And I know you said you're a uh, Steelers fan. Yeah, There's nothing but Patriots correct. fans up there, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm a Jets fan going up there, and that was that That's was rough. tougher. Yeah, with yeah. <laughs> So, went to Worcester, Massachusetts for a dozen years. Then went to Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, Hartford, Connecticut. Um, I applied for the uh, Rochester um, resident agent in char- charge position. So I've been here about three and a half years. That's great. I'm married, um, newlywed in, in August, yeah. and I have two adult children. One's uh, actually both are in college. One's in graduate school, and one's an undergrad. God bless. Thank yeah. you. God bless. Yeah, and it, if you were going to describe, sorry, if you're going to describe the ATF, so people these these three letter acronym, uh, you know, initial federal government agencies, you know, FBI, DEA, ATF. People are often confused by them, but why don't you just give like a, a thirty thousand foot overview? What's the ATF do for a living in general? Sure, it's pretty simple. We fight violent crime, right? whether it be firearms, explosive, arson. We're fighting violent crime, and we want to make the community safer, safer place. That's awesome. We focus on the people pulling the triggers that are doing the shootings and homicides in the community and, and take them out, put them into federal prison. Great. We love that. And then, of course, the firearms and the explosive and, uh, you know, arson. 
uh, you know, we, we had uh, Holiday Inn Fire back in 1978, I think, uh, in my memory, you know, for years and years ago. We brought our ATF partners back in when I was a chief out in Greece. You know, they, they have such expertise in these things, you know, oh. whether it's arson or firearms or explosives. That It was amazing just listening to these guys talk about your, your craft and how well they're, how, how deep they're. But here in Rochester, we're fighting firearms. You know, we got yes. a prolific problem with, with gun violence and illegal gun violence. And uh, so that's where our relationship really develops there yes. is collaboration on that. Yeah, what's, like what is the history of uh, the ATF in the Rochester? In Rochester, so it started off 25, 30 years ago. It was just a satellite office of Buffalo, so it's only a few agents here. Twenty-five years ago, they had it's became its own office here, and so about twenty years ago, along with um, local agencies, the sheriff's office, Rochester police, we formed the Violent Crime Task Force. And for the last twenty years, we have had a downtown office and been working out of there fighting violent crime. And the task force is pretty uh, prolific. I mean, they get it done. They, they go after the worst of the worst, gun runners, gun traffickers, and, and put those federal charges on them, which is simply amazing. Yeah, we have a lot of different agencies work with us, in addition to the sheriffs. We have state police, uh, obviously Rochester Police, FBI, ICE. So a wide variety of, of agencies work with us. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we, we, we've talked before on the show with uh, many different guests about reforms right. to criminal justice, and, and we're not able to detain people with illegal firearms you know we, we got people walking around two or three charges in a year uh, with illegal firearms so we we really relied in the last six seven months on you know a gun arrest in the middle of the night the calls coming right to your agency right to you sometimes yes. and you're screening that call when someone's sitting in the back seat of a police car after a foot chasing car chasing guns flying and you're screening that job right off the bat if we can possibly detain this person uh, and get them off our streets uh, obviously they're carrying a gun at three o'clock in the morning something bad is really going to happen and and we weren't able to do that and it's amazing how this program has, has progressed where you're literally being woke up almost nightly sometimes yes. including last night yeah yes. last <laughs> night, which is uh, good cops out doing police work Right, yes. and then also good good collaboration just to keep the community safe. You know, we don't want to lock people up before they're convicted of a crime. You know, we believe in our constitution, but we know some people are dangerous in our community, yes. right? And if you're carrying an illegal gun at three o'clock in the morning on Clinton Avenue, you probably should at least get a timeout, as my dad called it, right? And, <laughs> yes. and sit down and and let's intervene in your life, right? Why are you carrying that gun? And and uh, but slow that whole process down because it's a cycle of violence that, that yeah. is out of control. And so our federal partners, I think we have 41 this morning, I think, in the Monroe County Jail, and there's other people detained other places yes. that uh, we're able to put federal charges on. So thanks. Thanks for getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I know it's not part of your job description, but. No, it, actually it is. Fighting yeah. violent crime any hour of the day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and working hand-in-hand with agencies like the sheriff's office. Yeah. I mean, this. I love working in Rochester. Everyone works together well here. What made you gravitate toward that supervisor role. You know, sure. I mean, <laughs> it's that big step. And like he said, you know, demanding of time, more time mm -hmm. and some resources. So I worked as a case agent for a while. And I, when I started, I was doing gang cases, conspiracy cases, tra firearms trafficking cases. Started getting into some work with some confidential informants. So for that, um, that was what I did when I was in Massachusetts. Then I got um, a transfer to Hartford, Connecticut. I started doing undercover work a little bit at a time. And then I started getting in. By the end of the time I was there, I was that's all I was doing. Um, and, I mean, there's guys that do long-term cases. I did a lot of, like, shorter-term stuff. I wasn't, like, getting patched into our biker gang. But I was right. still working biker gangs and doing a couple of buys here and there, different offices around the area. Um, but they got to the point where I had a long beard. And <laughs> it's a great I, I, grew, I grew it, it out for a long time. <laughs> so it got grayer and grayer as time went. <laughs> <laughs> By the time before I shaved it off, it was almost all gray. And 
So, and I was getting introduced by confidential informants to different targets, and you know, everyone's y- younger, twenties. Right. Right, <laughs> so, right. and they're introducing me as their uncle's friend, <laughs> and and I and I so. I'm like, I can't keep doing this forever. And you know what? I think I can contribute a lot as a supervisor. I think I can, I think I have the right personality. I think I know the job well enough. I had been pushed earlier in my career to put in for it, and I, I, I didn't do it. Right. But this time I felt it was right. I put in for Rochester. I knew some people up here, and it was the best thing I ever did. You didn't good. know Pete Kennedy, did you? I did not know him no. there. I, I knew one of his friends. <laughs> then. That's how I got to know him. One the of my, mayor, right? Yeah. yeah. One of my friends from college, um, one of my uh, housemates, um, John Welch, he, oh, he's friends yeah. with uh, Pete Kennedy. That's how I got to know him well. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, I, I heard that story before, and I would, it's such a small world. Yes. You know, Welch and, uh, and his brother, you know, was a great grease cop, and, and now Pete Kennedy, the mayor, a radio personality, and wow. you, and we're all socializing sometimes. Yes. Like, how do all these people come together from yeah. Long Island? This is the beautiful part of our world, especially it in is. law enforcement. It's so connected. And, and Pete and, Kennedy's a great guy, I tell you that. He's we're gonna the mayor. To, yeah, we we got edit buttons, right? We can edit that out. Okay. Gonna, yeah, we won't put Pete Kennedy's a great guy in the air. <laughs> he doesn't want to. You know, he'd be like, "Why are you calling me Pete for? It's the mayor." The mayor. Right? The mayor. <laughs> so the technology's taken off, you know, in your world of ATF work, and we could talk about the explosives and, and the arson and all that, but in particular firearms. Yes. Uh, you know, Nibens. Can you just explain that? You know, it's getting pretty exciting what you guys can do with technology. With when we find a casing on the side of a road. Uh, you know, this used to mean pick it up, put it in an evidence bag at best, and, and log it, and it would never be seen again. What's happening with these casings? We're collecting all over. It could be in Henrietta. It could be in the city of Rochester. It could be. What are you doing with these? What's the ATF doing with these things now? It's sure. pretty cool. I mean, there's marks on there for the firing pin, um, and that's done by people that are very specialized with, with ballistic stuff. Right. But I'll keep it pretty simple. When you shoot a firearm or, or a gun, um, Two things come out of the, of the gun, um, the bullet and the cartridge casing. Mm-hmm. So the cartridge casing is, is left on the ground uh, for semi-automatic pistol. Um, so say in the city of Rochester, you have a shot spotter activation. Right. Um, police respond, everyone takes off, but there's um, cartridge casings left. The, the police will collect those and submit them to the lab, to the, and there's a Nibin machine there. Right. It's an ATF Nibin machine there. Uh, there's a new one that's just is going to the uh, police department, so we're going to have two in the area, which is great. great. Yeah. Uh, doubling our, our uh, ability there. So they look at those under a microscope, and um, it's pretty pretty sophisticated. They look at the marks from the firing pin and other stuff on there, and these go into a database, and they get compared to c- casings recovered all, all around the country. Yeah. So uh, in Clifford Avenue, say you, you get a, um, a cartridge casing, it could compare it somewhere else in the city, but also could compare it to Syracuse or anywhere else in the country that it, you... Where, where it matches. We've had connections where the gun, the casing caught here, uh, you know, recovered here, was related to a homicide, you know, down the I-90 corridor, and, right. and it's connected yes. here, or something, for example. I mean, it's just yes. simply amazing, isn't it? That, you know, and then you could piece together, maybe it's found in Utica, too, uh, a casing from that gun. You could start piece, you could start tracking where this gun was, and at least at a certain date and time, where that gun, that particular gun was, and obviously helps in prosecution of cases and, and things like that. Yeah. There was a shooting at a train station in Rochester compared to something that's connected yeah, to yeah. a different crime. And it gives, well, you, it gives you so many investigative leads, and it it's, tells you the, the crime history of the firearm. We also could trace firearms and tell you who purchased it. This tells you what, what crimes it's been used in. It's, it's a great tool. Um, and we use this is what we call crime gun intelligence right. from tracing as well as the Nibin. I love and, this, man. This is like watching a, watching TV, watching a movie, <laughs> hearing you talk, and, a, and the realization of what 
you know, how things come about and how things become solved or get solved and the way that you guys do it. And I mean, even just that, the fact of like, how many, are, are there any huge cases that you can actually talk about with us? Um, I could talk about some mostly closed cases. Yes, yeah. some open ones. There was a case a couple of years ago on, um, on, on Burbank Street, um, Figueroa Drug Trafficking Organization. Um, the police officers responded. Probably and he's going to come through the courthouse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he, uh, he shot at the police officers on entry. But that firearm that shot the police officers was also used in a murder at that same spot, basically around the corner, a couple of years prior to that. And I've been made that connection. And he, he got life. Um, Carlos Figueroa got life plus 25 and a couple wow. other guys in his organization got similar wow. sentences. Yeah, we may have had two individual crimes, very mm -hmm. distinct, um, a homicide and a shooting at a cop, but then when you start piecing those two together with evidence, just like a fingerprint. I mean, yeah, it's, it's yes. like DNA from a gun, right? I mean, it's yes. that accurate and, and present that to a jury and to a judge. That, that just... You know, as opposed to two individual cases, horrific cases, but now you're you're talking life. You're talking. Yeah. You're never uh, coming back. We, we connect those two together. And we like to call it a ballistic fingerprint. Right. So it's that's we can compare these, and it's great for local agencies, great for us, and great for for everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the community also. We we solve crimes that wouldn't have been connected any other way. We love the task force model in Monroe County, right? And you you mentioned something earlier, and I I, I can't let that just gloss over. Monroe County is different than other counties in New York State. Monroe yes. County is different than other states. Uh, the collaboration is not, I mean, I go to Albany, I, I preach it all the time to DCGS and Homeland Security. I'm like, you guys got to come to Rochester. I mean, yes. everybody gets along and the troopers and the deputies and the ATF and the DEA. I mean, we're all friends. It's, yes. it's a, it's, and that's a force multiplier for us. Um, but it brings us to the task force model. So I give deputies to different federal task force, right? the marshals task force the fbi there's a couple of different fbi task force the dea and the atf but you know talk a little bit about from your supervisory hat now what you know how, the federal government offsets some of that cost for the local agencies people probably yes. don't understand that that you're helping pay for those deputies you're helping pay for a few sometimes vehicles yep. overtime and things like that uh the tfo position if you could yeah yeah we pay, pay for uh vehicles gas overtime um we uh constantly we with training right so if you assign a deputy to us um he can work with us for a few years and bring anything he learns from us back to the, the sheriff's office, and we can cycle someone else through or keep the same guy with us, however you prefer. Right. Um, and we give um, undercover police cars, um, and we, we pay for a lot of their equipment as well, too. Um, it's, it's a great great program you guys have. Just as we're talking right now, I have a, a couple guys on an airplane going out, out of state to investigate firearms trafficking. One of them's an RPD task force officer. ATF's paying for his travel. And his expertise of the streets of, of Rochester, I mean, he's got, he's worked the streets a very long time. Right. So that's that, that's so valuable for for, for us. Um, we know the streets too, but not like someone that's worked the streets every day in their career in, in Rochester. So these Rochester Police, Monroe County Sheriff's Task Force right. officers are so important. And that's the force multiplier of, of right. a task force model. You're bringing that expertise, local government, local communities, local streets, right? And you're bringing the power of the federal government, like. Yeah, we can have jurisdiction in Georgia right now if we needed to, right? Yes. And, and we can go down and do police work because of the federal partners that are there. And then we rely on your expertise, like we mentioned earlier, with detaining people with with you know illegal firearms in Clinton Avenue at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, it's a, it's a great collaboration. It's pretty amazing. It's 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 powerful. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the ATF's Project Exile. You okay. know what it means because I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure people hear it, but they don't know what it means, what it's about. So it's evolved over time a little bit. 
it's actually 25 years now. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of the pictures we we, uh, we looked at earlier was I, we gave a plot to Gary Mervis yeah, uh, from Camp Good Days. He got called in 25 years ago by one of the federal judges, and violent crime was was spiking. And he said, "We got to do something about this." Some other cities are doing this program called Project Exile. So it's really a two prong approach. There's monthly meetings with the community members that we still attend. I mean, it's been going on for 25 years. That's an accomplishment. Wow. And there's also what we used to have was weekly meetings with the federal agencies, uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, DA's Office, Monroe Sheriff's, RPD, State Police, and would review all the firearms arrests that came the previous week. So that was the standard to about to last summer. Uh, violence started spiking again, and as time goes on, you have to adjust a little bit. Right. It's, you can't just have the same model. So we, we had some meetings. We established an ATF du- duty roster where if someone gets – if there's a, a gun arrest in the middle of the night, we get contacted right away. We evaluate it. Um, and also the U.S. Attorney's Office is on board with that. And this is a tremendous U.S. Attorney's Office you guys yeah, have here yeah. because I don't think other places I've worked, they would have had the buy-in that, that these guys have. Mm-hmm. Very dedicated. So we're not the only ones getting woke up at night. RPD officers, <laughs> um, uh, the AUSAs are also getting woke up in the middle of the night. And these guys are great. They, they um, will make a decision right away and – they take a lot of cases here, a lot more than any other place I've worked, I'll tell you that. Yeah, and that attitude comes from, uh, obviously, Trinity Ross in the Western District of New York, but the local office, those, those guys, they're pit bulls when it yes. comes to prosecuting. But on the other side, they, they have such a great relationship with the local district attorney, you know, and Sandra Dorley. It's, it's not an us, again, going back to the collaboration, it's not an us versus them. Traditionally, I'm sure you've experienced in other states, you yes. know, it could be an us versus them between state prosecutors and, and federal prosecutors, and here it's just the opposite, like, who's got the best game in town for this particular case, and we'll go that route. There was a time in one of the offices I worked at, if a case, if a guy was arrested on the state charges uh, for firearms, they would never give up the case to the federal government, no matter what the circumstances were. We could be looking at 15, 20 years on someone, and they wouldn't give, they it, wouldn't up. give it up. Right. Uh, um, not here. That's not the case here. I think that's, that's great. But, yeah, these other – it's not productive that way. And I'm not saying you have to take every single case, but there has to be some dialogue. Yeah. Well, let me just, before you jump into this, let me yep. just clarify that because you can't take every case. Yes. And, and I'm going to go on my, my pedestal or my soapbox here. We're using the federal government to replace a, a void in New York state law, right? When we're detaining people for firearms, we're calling you and waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning because we can't detain them with New York state law. And, uh, and to be very clear, you guys aren't designed for 400, 500 cases a year. You're designed for those unique specialized cases, those big long-term investigations, if I yes. can speak on your behalf. Uh, you know, it's kind of like using the FBI for every, every pet larceny. That's You know, they're not designed for that. they, they got expertise and, and, and powers that we don't have. But, um, and, and I think that's very important that we can't sustain waking you up every day for years and years and years to come. And, and every case standard has all merit. Yeah, um, exactly. And it's not solely just to replace bail, bail re- reform or anything like that. Right. It's That's just part of what happens when we evaluate these cases and take them a, a more immediate thing. That's a side right. effect of it. But um, they're taking some I – mean, RPD is, and sheriffs are getting some really dangerous guys off the street, and we're so glad to help out. How, do, how does the Monroe County Sheriff's Office fit into the uh, violent task force, you know, with ATF? So um, there's ATF offices all around the country. My, my geographical uh, um, area is nine counties. Monroe County is the biggest one of the counties I have. And um, by having someone from Monroe County Sheriff's Office on our task force enables us to work together with someone throughout the entire county. It's a force multiplier, like right. you said, and it's very important. Um, otherwise, 
yeah, we could still work in the county, and uh, Sheriff Baxter's guys would be more than happy to help us out, but it's so much easier to have someone that, in, in the department right. um, to, to communicate like that. Um, and um, it's so valuable. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, this is before I got here. This is a great case. Um, Shinappi's, oh, yeah, um, yeah. A, a firearms dealer, like a broken into. Right there was, there was about 100 <laughs> firearms that got stolen. ATF worked with the sheriff's office on that. Uh, 30 or 40 have been recovered already in crimes. Right. And these guys got some tremendous sentences in federal court. Yeah. I have, uh, I don't have these remembered, so I got to look down. Oh, uh, 156 months, 240 months, and 175 months with the three guys. That's what they got. Um, and we've had some more recent cases I'm going to be pr- pretty general about because right. yeah. they're, they're active. But there's a recent case of a county official was getting threatened. Uh, we got involved and arrested him, and he's still in custody. Um, so that I think that was pretty significant. We also had a firearms trafficking case um, from out in the suburbs, uh, uh, sheriff's area of responsibility, and he was bringing guns into the city of Rochester. By working with the sheriff's office, our, t- our TFO, it, it was great. It was seamless, and it's a great example of working together. And um, I just cannot say enough good things about the sheriff's office and our partnership. And, and people ask a lot of questions, especially when I'm out doing community presentations, where are these guns coming from, right? And uh, last year we did a point-in-time survey. We did a five-year survey, actually. We looked at every stolen ve- stolen gun in Monroe County, city of Rochester, town of Ryan Quaker, and we were able to identify the percentages that are stolen and how they're stolen so we could do PSAs and, you know, just secure your gun, right? If you got a legal gun, you know, double-lock the damn thing if you're going on vacation. That's all we're asking you to do, right? But yeah. And then the other, I constantly get questions about this, this iron pipeline coming from Georgia, coming from, and you guys are all, that's kind of what you were talking about earlier, alluding to you're sending people down south today, yes. right, to, to address yeah. those things, and uh, you're doing a great job tracking it because we, we, you can put a fingerprint on the casing, but you can also put a fingerprint on the gun yes. where it was purchased and how many, you know, it tracked up to New York yeah. finally. And you guys did a great job on that study. You really did. I was yeah, so was impressed with that. We call it the Perkins study. Uh, <laughs> Deputy yes. Perkins literally thumbed <laughs> through every crime report for five years and came up with great data. So um, the firearms that get recovered in crimes by Rochester Police and Monroe Sheriffs, a lot of these guns are from New York. Right. And a lot of the guns are older. I think the average is about 10 years that they've been here. Um, but we trace every single firearms the sheriffs recover, also RPD recovers, and we look for trends. And so if we see certain trends like a gun got... We bought a gun once, and it was purchased 20 days prior or 40 days prior in Ohio. Um, and that person bought a substantial amount of guns at the same time. So we worked with the Ohio office, and, and they took charges out, out, out there on it. So that's an example of working together. But we had immediate um, feedback, and they, they took care of it quickly. That's so this awesome. guy wasn't keeping selling guns. Um, as far as the iron pipeline, yeah, guns do come from down south and out of state. But it's not like a one kingpin that's bringing all the guns in. It's more like like a... People describe it as a garden hose with a trickle. People have these smaller schemes of, of uh, criminal conduct. So say I grow up with somebody, and, and my, my best friend when I'm a kid moves down to Georgia, and he, he's there, and I realize, well, I could probably make some money for my friend down there. He can buy guns cheaper out in that state, and it's easier to buy, and I can make friends with him again and get some guns up here and make some money on them. That's the kind of stuff we want to focus on where it's – recent activity and it's ongoing and we want to put a stop to it and there's times when this activity is ongoing uh, we'll, we'll put a stop to it so guns don't keep going out into the community uh, to make sure that um, we'll do whatever we can to interdict right. these firearms it, yeah it's so important it's a multi-pronged it, it approach i mean obviously 
prevention is the number one thing we do with all this, right? Whether it's addiction or gun running, uh, there's a if there's a demand for something, there's yes. going to be someone supplying it, right? Yes. If there's yes. a demand for yep. dope, there's gonna, if there's a demand for guns, if there's a demand for alcohol, prohibition prove that, right? If yeah. We're going to make our own, you know, yeah. so we got to work on the prevention, but we also have to address the gun runners and people that are stealing guns out of legal people's cars yes. or houses and and things like that, but it's, it's a great collaboration. And those guns from New York State, I think we found most of them were, were stolen or some of them were traded to, to like a drug dealer as currency right? in, in exchange for drugs. And it's, it's a problem. Um, but yeah, most of the guns are actually from New York and uh, oh, I've been here for a long time. Yeah. So I think a lot of people, when you hear the Iron Pipeline, I think there's a constant flow from these states and they do come from other states. But the fact is a lot of the guns are from New York and have been here for a long time. Right. Yeah, so you got to look at both. You can't just say it's one or the other. You secure yes. your guns. If you're a legal gun owner, I am. I, you know, I love it. And uh, but, you know, be responsible. Double lock that thing when you're not currently holding yes, it, right? Right. And, and right. the uh, and if there's guns coming from down south or any place else, you guys are addressing it as we speak today. Yeah. And we <laughs> and we promote uh, responsible gun ownership. Right. One other thing people should do is keep track of what your guns are in serial numbers. Yeah. In case your guns get stolen, you can have a record of it. So. Say I have five guns and someone breaks in my house, steals my safe, yep. and and uh, whatever guns are in there that they, they take, at least I have a record of the gun so I can tell the police this is what's going on. Because there's been so many times when we've fallen up on guns that get recovered, it turns out they were stolen, but the person had the serial number, so they weren't reported as stolen. I love so it. Follow the breadcrumbs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. I love it. I love it. Yeah, well, what's, a, what's an ordinary day consist of a person in your position? Well, every day is different. I mean, I'd never had a day like this. I tell you that coming here for a podcast. Uh, so I, I, I come in and and uh, we have a, a task force that has over twenty law enforcement officers on it. So I, I just check in with certain things that are ongoing. Um, if there is an operation where we're doing a controlled purchase of, an, of a firearm, an undercover purchase, um, we'll make sure the operational plans get out there and we go out to, to the field and do that. Um, we. Um, I'm talking to my front office, and so there's administrative responsibilities too, right. which <laughs> is fun. It's always fun, <laughs> yeah. but it's an important part of the job. Um, we we just want to make sure we're accountable to the public, so right. that the administrative part fits right into that. Um, but we also have a lot of proactive stuff going on. I'm not going to get into de- detail, obviously, but right, right. Um, people don't see us out there every day, but we're out there every day doing our job. Well, it's been great having you. It's been great sharing uh, what the ATF does for our community in particular and, and, and the country as a whole. Uh, and we're about ready to jump into the No Miranda Zone. The No Miranda Zone means, uh, you know Miranda, obviously. You have yes, a right to uh, remain. obviously. This is No Miranda Zone. You don't have a right to remain silent. You must answer my questions. I'm the sheriff and you're on my podcast. So uh, we just badger you with a couple questions to see where it ends up. And, sure, uh, whatever you need. And, uh, but while, while, while Tiz is digging through for a couple... Some good ones. <laughs> so good. You mentioned Worcester, which is now the home of the AAA team for the Red Sox. That's correct. Yeah, it used to be in Rhode was, Island. Uh, I used yeah, to go watch them down here. Yeah, that was, I, I forgot about that. And I was yeah. looking at some games for the Red Wings coming up, and I was looking for Pawtucket. I'm like, wait, they don't play Pawtucket anymore. i got to go to Worcester. I know Worcester <laughs> game. Worcester. And can you say Georgia one more time? Georgia. Georgia. He <laughs> lost by combination Long Island, Massachusetts accent here. <laughs> what do you got, Tiz? All right, give me this. Favorite quote or mantra you try to live by? Let's see. Um, treat people how you want to be treated. That's what I do as a supervisor. Um, I treat my guys like the way I would like to be treated. And um, hopefully the guys agree with that, but I, I do try to be fair. And that's like that. That's awesome. Yeah. Favorite book? I'm a little biased right now, and I'm going to give a plug out for um, 
uh, one of my friends, a book called Riding with Evil. Um, my, a guy I used to work with at ATF went undercover with the pagans, got patched in, wrote an wow. excellent book. Yeah. And um, it's he just wrote it on sale for a couple couple months now. Um, he wrote it very well. And people in my chain of command were involved in that case um, a couple of years ago. It was not, Long Island, Maryland, all, all along. And these guys did a great job on that. So I liked that book. That's, it was interesting that's, because I knew all the people involved. And now I know what to order when I get off the air here. So <laughs> that's cool. I didn't realize that. That's neat. Favorite TV show of all time? I have to say uh, Breaking Bad. And probably not for the reasons <laughs> you guys are thinking. Uh, maybe it is. Um, so DEA was heavily involved in, as part of the characters on there. What I liked about Breaking Bad is they never portrayed the DEA agents as corrupt, never portrayed them as dirty, always had a lot of integrity. Interesting. So, And DEA is a great organization. They don't get a lot of press, but I'm glad they got um, a show on there. ATF, on the other hand, um, I used to watch Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, they made the ATF agents look like a bunch of. Uh, it was terrible, and I didn't like. Yes, yeah. I didn't like. I, I didn't like that. There. Yes, <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, I'm trying to be uh, PG on, on the podcast here, but uh, I didn't like how they were portrayed on air. Um, so that's. Uh, but uh, uh, Breaking Bad was was they treated DEA well. I thought on air. That's interesting. Well, thanks for joining us. It's uh, great to learn more about your craft and, and the collaboration. I've probably used that word 14 times so far because that's truly what's occurring here in Monroe County. And, and it's all designed to keep our community safe. You know, we're just, you know, it seems sometimes we're running up a hill and nonstop uphill, but uh, the guys and gals that work for us are getting it done daily. It's incredible. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Like the guys and girls in my task force are working hard and fighting violent crime. Awesome, brother. Well, we look forward to seeing you on a social event. I'm sure some dinner, sure. some kind of sign Thank soon. You. And Tiz, hey. next week? 100. 100. <laughs> and then we're retiring. We're out. <laughs> we're going to drop the mic and head out the door. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Until next week, friends, be well and be safe.